and really hoping that as we share our stories, our experiences, our learnings, that we'll also have time to learn from one another. So to start with introducing why this topic is mission still good, um, it's also really relevant to our stories in our lives. And I'm just gonna start by sharing a story about my own life. So I was born in a religiously Hindu family in Kenya. And it wasn't until I moved to Canada that God used my neighbors close to me to teach me about Jesus. I loved getting to know about Jesus. Um, and knowing Christ, and I would say that's probably one of the best things that happened to me, but it was full of some really hard challenges as well. When I first took my mom to church with me, um, some of the people there didn't quite understand or know much about our culture, so had questions about the type of clothing she wore, saris. Um, she had a bindi, which is like a dot, Indians wear, and they, would go they Googled it, and they were like, oh, this is connected to Hinduism. You probably shouldn't wear that in a church. So actually, neither my mom or I knew that our cultural wear was connected to Hinduism, but much of um, Indian culture is kind of wrapped up together. So we learned something new, but it was also really hard to grapple with what my cultural identity and what my faith looked like. When I told my family I chose to follow Jesus, they told me I was no longer Indian. And um, that was a hard thing to navigate with people who didn't know what it looked like to allow me to embrace my own cultural heritage. And it caused a lot of harm and broken relationships with my family. So if anyone were to say to me, oh, because of that harm, we shouldn't have told you about Jesus, I would deeply object. Knowing Jesus was the best thing. I wouldn't be here in front of you if I didn't know Jesus. Um, so I don't think that's the correct answer. <clears throat> but if we would ignore that there was harm done there, that also wouldn't be correct, because then we would perpetrate it and cause more harm to be done in further generations. So I think about missions, I think about how, when we think about missions work, when we think that there's bad in missions work and we wanna throw all that bad away with the good, we actually lose something deeply valuable. But if we ignore the bad and pretend it doesn't exist, we also keep causing harm. So today, we kinda wanna examine both. We want to grow in doing good, while being careful to avoid continuing harm with missions. During our time together, we're gonna do three things together. We're gonna start by recognizing, recognizing our history of missions and colonialism. We're gonna spend some time reorienting, so reorienting our hearts to what God's heart is for all nations. And then we're gonna redeem our idea of local and global missions through some stories that we'll share with you of current missions work that we get to see in our roles. So we're gonna learn together, learn from each other, and ultimately hoping that you hear and learn from God and his word. So let me just pray for us as we begin. God, we thank you for being able to, yeah, gather here today to look back at history, to look at what you're doing in our world today, to continue to make space to be careful about what engaging in missions looks like. We pray that as we, yeah, as we learn, that we would hear your voice, that we would, you would be speaking through myself, through Sharon, that you would continue to teach us good things, um, cause us to grow in doing things better and not to be afraid of stepping into the messy things of our past and our history as well. Thank you for using our lives and our stories to shape who we are to you and, and within one another as the body of Christ. Um, we thank you for these things and we pray them in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
so our first section, we're going to think about recognizing our history, as Kevda mentioned. Um, so we're going to start off with a little personal history reflection question. So this is just for yourself to think through. Um, but in your family history, who was the first, who first encountered Jesus and how? So just think about that for a few moments. Um, perhaps it's yourself, or perhaps you come from generations of Christians in your family. Um, but regardless, someone must have told you about who Jesus is, how he lived a perfectly righteous life, died a criminal's death on the cross in our place, and rose victoriously over death. And through his sacrifice, all of us rebellious sinners who were enemies of God can be forgiven and reconciled to God through faith in his son, Jesus. So a little bit about my family history. My parents were atheists in China, and it was only when we moved to Canada when my family was introduced to the truth of Jesus through a Chinese church um, here in their new immigrant ministry. Later on, my mom discovered that both the school she had attended in her childhood and the hospital she was born at had been founded by American missionaries decades before. Um, and so God has worked powerfully through his people in touching my own family's life, but of course, it hasn't all been perfect. So similarly, in terms of missions, we want to recognize our history, and this is important. Just as with your own life story, we don't want to ignore our, our history, but recognize it. And we can see how it has shaped us and learn from it. Our history is part of who we are today, but it doesn't define or limit who we can become. So with that being said, I'm going to bring us through a brief history of missions. Um, just for all of you, I'm not a historian. Um, but I'll share what I've learned from some resources um, that we will mention on a later slide that you can study further. Um, so let's go on this ride of a brief overview of missions. Um, so earliest Christianity, um, the earliest centuries after the death and resurrection of Jesus, mission was from a position of weakness. It was not supported by kingdoms or princes, and persecution was rampant. Um, but actually persecution scattered and strengthened believers at the same time. In 306 to 337 AD, there was a major shift under the rule of Constantine in Western Asia. Um, Christianity became shifted from being a persecuted minority cult to being a favored faith. And so Christian missions looks very different when it's royally favored. Um, in Europe at that time, Christianity and mission turned inward in the development of Christendom. Between the 4th to 15th centuries, um, asceticism was rising, and it was both monastic and missional. So under the guidance of Basil, the bishop of Caesarea, monasticism was transformed into a missional community designed for holiness and service. So every monastery became a missional presence of Christian practice in the largely unconverted countryside. Um, a side note, the word paganist or pagan means country dweller. And so the monasteries were like missional communities among the pagans. Um, one person from this time was St. Patrick, who uh, we might have heard of from St. Patrick, Patrick's Day. He was an English slave and later became a missionary to Ireland um, who began a Christian movement that brought about literacy, rule by law, monastic schools, and better treatment for slaves and women. Now, moving a little along into the 12th centuries, um, the monasticism uh, became corrupted, so mission became intertwined with conquest. 
In the 12th century, there was the rise of these militant monks, for example, the Knights Templar. They began soon after the First Crusade. And during the rise of Islam, monastic Christian life turned inwards upon itself. So European monasteries, who originally, remember, they were meant to be these missional communities and bring about the presence of Jesus, um, they became wealthy establishments and oppressive political structures. Um, the monks began to support crusades and accepted bribes for positions of authority. Um, so sadly, the mission of the monks had turned into the military engagement of the crusaders. Um, we're going to move now into the 15th to 18th centuries. Um, this is a period of global colonization and Christianization. So the earliest missionaries were monks, friars, and priests who were employees of the Spanish and Portuguese kings. Um, so again, we're just going to do an overview of the different parts of the world. So Africa, um, in Africa, mission and Christianization began as crusade and reconquista, which is a reconquest of Christian lands that were long ago taken by Muslim Arabs. For the Portuguese, intentional expansion included intentional missionary activity. Um, so the kings were the ones who financed Christian mission. Um, Catholic, uh, Catholic missions at the time were constantly plagued by association with the slave trade, um, like the question, do you want to save us or enslave us? In Latin America at this time, both the Spanish and Portuguese conquerors tended to be racist. However, we want to remember that conquistadors were not priests and sailors were not monks. So missionary work was by necessity linked to Iberian expansion, but was not identical to it. Um, in fact, many of the missionaries, such as Dominicans, Franciscans, and Jesuits, resisted Spanish and Portuguese rule, its violent and oppressive racism, and disregard for human rights and worship of mammon, or money and possessions. Um, there was a common difficulty for missionaries. They were caught between empires and nations, colonial authorities, and the authority of their faith. Um, but too often, the church and its missionaries had become comfortable supporting the hierarchical, racist, and oppressive colonial status quo. Now in Asia, um, most of the Catholic missions in the 17th century assumed that one must culturally become a European Christian to become a Christian. But one group called the Jesuits, they adapted the Christian message and life to local cultural context. Um, for example, Francis Xavier in India and Matteo Ricci in China, they carefully studied local cultures, language, religions, and society, and they made the gospel understandable to local context. Um, but in many of these Asian nations, the possibility of conversion was seen as destabilizing the nation. And so conversions were quickly followed by persecution. Now moving over to the Middle East, um, um, in this time, for the Catholic Church, the main goal of mission in Muslim areas was twofold, uh, was to bring Coptic, Maronite, St. Thomas, and Orthodox Church under the oversight of the papacy, and to properly catechize these Oriental Christians and bring other non-Christians to faith. Now, in North America, Christianity was spread mostly by migration, not by missionaries. Europeans often brought devastation rather than salvation to First Nations peoples. There was a pattern of enculturation and conversion of indigenous people while allowing them to live in their own communities, speak their own language, and follow their own trained leaders. There are some groups of evangelicals who worked among slaves for their evangelization, welfare, and liberation. For example, Wesley in the 18th century spoke and wrote against slavery. And the earliest work among slaves in the Caribbean was by German pietists and Baptists. 
So in summary of that, just one second, it's just sleeping for a second. There we go. In summary of that time, the 15th to 18th centuries, global colonization became a matter of Europeans imposing their will and designs on the non-Western world, including Christianity. Um, and at this time, the Catholic motivations for mission were both to spread the influence of the Liberian king and the kingdom of Christ. Moving on into the 18th century, this was the period of the Enlightenment and the rise of Protestant missions. So Protestant missions were not supported by their kings, and they came after hundreds of years of Catholic missions. Um, they emphasized a lot on the knowledge of scripture. These Protestant missionaries, they were not bound by colonial, military, or political power, but they did rely on colonial support when needed or helpful, such as the private trading companies from Protestant countries. Um, these shadow empire companies actually resisted mission as interfering with good business. Um, so they despised and attacked Catholic colonial forts led by Protestant businessmen with post-Reformation or anti-Catholic zeal. Um, Protestant missions actually began with chaplains working with the Dutch and British citizens living overseas. Um, a few of them took interest in local people. Um, and uh, Protestant missions also arose in response to European movements of renewal. There was a pietist movement in Germany followed by William Carey going to India. Um, there was a great awakening with the Wesley brothers, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards. They promoted and inspired missionary work. William Perry also established the pattern of mission societies, which were more ecumenical and focused on the work of mission, not the structure of the kingdom. These voluntary mission societies leaned toward pragmatism and tended to take a business-like approach. So now moving to the 19th to 20th centuries, um, this was a time of Christianization, civilization, and commerce. So colonialism made travel to the mission field possible. However, again, missionaries are not imperialists, but often pragmatists. They will find a way. Their early missionaries knew the language and culture better than the local, than the colonialists, um, and were uh, very different, had very different goals from the traders. So we must not confuse missionaries with the traders or has aided the work of to distance themselves from their fellow Europeans. Uh, missionaries sought to influence for the sake of Christ and for his church, but colonialists built empires for earthly kings and secular kingdoms. The work and zeal of missionaries opened up Africa to Western European nations, but European colonialism was a violent, oppressive, unjust period of colonial history. Missionary work often stands out as a civilizing and salting influence in the midst of that oppression and subjugation of local peoples and cultures in that period. Yet missionaries too often shared the same superior attitudes as these colonialists. Now moving closer to our time, uh, um, 1950s onwards, um, this is a time of colonial and postmodern missions. So 99% of the non-Western world under colonial control gained independence between 1945 to 1969 and took on a different religious identity or Marxist ideology. Soon these countries began to assert independence in religious matters, removing missionaries and turning churches into political party offices. There was a sudden rise of evangelical missions in 1960s and 70s, and it was less and less Western. Christianity was losing its influence in the West, 
but it was growing in the non-Western world. Um, and so, kind of summarizing all these things, the Iberian, um, the, the Catholic missionaries um, were supported by royal governments, and they are organized by religious orders in service to the Pope. Protestant missions was more individualistic and voluntaristic, with more complex relationships to churches and colonial governments. Um, but now, today, mission from Korea, Nigeria, Brazil, India, Malaysia, China, is often from countries where Christians are a struggling minority. Mission is no longer from Christian nations, non-Christian nations, but Christian mission today is carried on in a post-colonial, post-modern, and globalized world. There's a great resource that we recommend called The World the Missionaries Made by a social scientist named Robert Woodbury. He published his research of extensive historical and statistical analysis on the impact of Protestant missions on the world. And through his very detailed analysis, he found much evidence that Protestant missionaries actually overall brought transformative positive impact to the areas where they served. For example, mass education, particularly for women and for poor people, uh, the mass printing, um, mass printing and newspapers, uh, nonviolent social movements. So our today our idea of protests and boycotts that started with many of these Protestant missionaries, and colonial reform. Many of them opposed or um, were seeking to reform kind of the rule of these colonial. Um, empires, um, and particularly when the missionaries were not financed by the government, they were very strong in doing this. So in summary of all those things, we can recognize that there was much harm done both by colonial powers and those who associated with colonialists, which included missionaries. But we must also remember that there was much transformative good that missionaries brought through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the fruit of their work and impact. So as we now shift into a time of reorienting our hearts, um, let's hope that God's word will continue to teach us about missions. Yeah, important things to continue to remember. And I think that often when I think about history, there's moments where I'm like, oh, don't want to even navigate this. It's so hard. Um, what does it look like for me right now in my current day to make choices to faithfully follow God and obey his word? and not cause harm, recognizing I'm imperfect too. And so I think that it's gonna be a journey that we continue to navigate together in, I don't know what the future holds in trends and, and we look back at history and I don't think many of them knew what they were going through as well. But one of the things that I found really helpful is to go back to God's word and, and to make sense of what his heart is for nations. Like why even engage in missions if we're gonna mess it up sometimes? Um, but we're going to start by actually just doing a short activity to, um, this has really helped me go back to be like, why is missions important? So we're going to reorient, but you're going to see on your tables that there's a set of orange cards. I'm going to invite you, you can take those cards out. Um, there are a bunch of Bible verses, so I'm going to invite you as quick as you possibly can with your table to put them in order from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. Um, and as soon as you've got that order as best as you can, just raise your hand for me. There's a lot. <laughs> 
already eight o'clock. Huh? <laughs> it's already eight o'clock. <laughs> Five to eight. Yeah. Oh yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong. I think we're good. Yeah, yeah. Like just like a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, I saw this and I was like, Oh no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If I had a prize, I would give you one. <laughs> Amazing. You win second place. <laughs> Okay, it's okay if you haven't finished, but thank you for attempting that. <laughs> I'm going to attempt to summarize. I mean, this is a, not an easy task, but I'm going to attempt to show you how God's heart for the nations has always been a part of his salvation. There were so many more verses we could have included, but I've just taken a few there. This is the correct order, if any of you want to cross-reference. But when we look... <laughs> when we look at Scripture, we can see, starting from Genesis, God's blessing to Adam and Eve, then his promises to Abraham. So in Genesis 12, I've got that in front of you, God initiates the call to Abram, calling him to leave his country and go by faith, to the land God will show him. God makes a big promise to multiply his offspring into a great nation, to bless him, and then to bless all peoples on earth through his offspring. As we move on into the Old Testament narrative, we can find multiple verses that reflect God's desire that all nations would know him. So you got two examples in front of you in 2 Kings. Hezekiah prays that God would deliver his people so that the kingdoms of the earth would know that the Lord alone is God. 
In 2 Chronicles, Solomon prays for God to answer the prayers of foreigners so that all the peoples of the earth may know God's name and fear him. We go on in the Psalms to read about the nations being made in God's heritage. We are reminded to be still and know God and to praise him. Psalm 46, one of my favorite Psalms. Um, God promises and assures us that he will be exalted among the nations, not for us, but for his glory. The prophets, we go on, the prophets speak about a light for all nations. You can read that in Isaiah 49. And then in Daniel 7, it describes a son of man who is given dominion and glory over all peoples and nations. We move on to the Gospels and Acts. Um, we learn a lot about who Jesus is, how he fulfills prophecies. Um, and then in Matthew 28 and Acts 1, we see a great commission given to God's people to be sent out into the world to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. We move on into the epistles. We're reminded of the power of the gospel to all those who believe and for all who call on him. Romans talks about that. Um, in Philippians 2, we see um, this image of every knee bowing down before God. And then fast forward to the end in Revelation 7, we end with this beautiful image of the multitude before the throne of God people from all nations worshiping God. This is like a really big picture overview. There are so many other in-between verses, so many stories, so many contexts. But for me, this is helpful to remember God's heart was always for all nations and all peoples to worship him. Um, and how he unfolds that for his purposes. It's not a straight journey. It's not like this to there. But he has so many stories in biblical history that unravel those purposes. He desires to redeem all nations to himself, and it involves the active pursuit of God's people, those of us who bear his image, so you and I, to give him the glory due his name. So we're going to spend some time later in your discussion time to discuss what some of these scripture passages teach you about God, about people, about his plan for all nations to worship him. And I'd recommend if you've never spent time thinking about this in a bigger picture, um, we have some more resources um, that we can share with you for many other verses for this. Um, these are only a handful of passages. Yeah, and as we move on to thinking about current stories of missions to redeem, yeah, redeem our idea, I actually want to encourage you to continue to seek and find your purpose in God's narrative. We hear a narrative through all scripture, but that narrative includes us today too. And I found that asking the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding in being reoriented to God's heart has helped me significantly discern what my role in that plan is. And so I think that's been the most helpful thing for looking at scripture and learning about that is then remembering that I'm invited and each one of us are invited into that plan as well. So I'm going to pass it off to Sharon to share some cool stories with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, hopefully reorienting our hearts briefly through scripture shows us God's heart for all peoples. Um, and so now we're going to, uh, oops, sorry, I clicked it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so now we're going to um, allow some of these stories to redeem our idea of local and global missions today. Um, I will summarize them, um, these stories, from each of our Missions Hub partners, and you'll have time later on in your table groups um, to read and discuss some of the stories in more detail. Um, here I'd just like to give a brief overview of some of the amazing work that God is doing through his people around the world. And there are some pictures to go along with the stories. 
Um, so our partner team, the Evangelical Alliance Mission, they are training and mobilizing workers from everywhere, including the global south. Places in Latin America and worldwide that were previously mission fields are now a major missionary sending force. Um, team missionaries in Mexico, they're planting house churches through outdoor activities, inviting others to join them in ocean kayak adventures and creation care. These relationships have grown into small group Bible studies and house churches where people feel safe and loved to be able to ask hard questions. Um, Wycliffe Bible Translators, they, uh, Wycliffe missionaries have been living among and working with First Nations peoples for over 30 years. They work closely with local leaders and community members as part of the Cree Initiative to facilitate Bible translation for over 100,000 people in Cree language communities from Alberta to Ontario. Um, Wycliffe has also formed several partnerships with deaf communities around the world to translate God's word into sign languages to make it accessible to deaf peoples in the language that they use most to express their thoughts and emotions. World team uh, workers apply the gospel holistically through education and training, addressing felt needs in the community through literacy programs, ESL classes, disciple tra discipleship training, and more. Through education, they bring the gospel to the unreached, and then they train local believers to reach their own communities. A world team has also worked among the Wayana indigenous tribe in Brazil, Suriname, and French Guyana for decades. And today, every village now has a church. In fact, Wayana leaders are now partnering with world team and reaching out to their indigenous First Nations cousins in Alberta and Manitoba. Avant workers in Poland responded to the Ukraine crisis last year by serving as refugee bus drivers, bringing people from refugee camps to safety in Portugal and other European countries, and sharing the gospel along the three-day drive. Um, Avant workers in Western Asia are training people for bivocational ministry. The trainees work at the farm during the weekdays, and on Saturdays they venture into the city to share copies of the New Testament in the local language and to pray for people that they meet. OMF ministry workers continued their homeless ministry in Tokyo during the fears of the COVID pandemic. They were lovingly feeding the needy with weekly meals and nourishing their souls with God's word. Um, OMF workers also practice incarnational ministry by learning the heart languages of the, people, uh, of the people and doing life together through living, serving, and working alongside them, building authentic personal relationships and embracing unfamiliar cultural practices that do not compromise their gospel witness. Uh, frontiers. Uh, frontiers workers are lovingly pursuing Muslim peoples with the gospel through professional tent making and social entrepreneurship. They live in Muslim countries and through personal relationships they share hope with Muslims who have visions of Jesus and are seeking the truth. Frontiers workers learn and speak Arabic well. They have enough knowledge of the Quran to engage with Muslim peoples that they encounter who are questioning their faith. Uh, the People's Church has been welcoming refugees for seven years through the People's House. The ministry has grown into a community of three homes across the GTA to provide welcome, support, and safety to refugee claimants from around the world, each with their own unique stories. And last but not least, Knox students and young adults are doing a Bible study on following Jesus' call to mission together, to do so in community and not in isolation. 
They're planning to organize themselves into mentoring microgroups and are inviting other members at Knox to join them in intergenerational community and mentorship. And so hopefully from just these brief summaries, um, we can see that missions today is not from the West to the world, but it's from everywhere to everywhere. And it's not just over there, but it's happening right here where we are. We can see our context as a mission field. If you're a student, campus is your mission field. If you're a professional, that's your workplace. If you're at home, it could be your neighborhood, your family, your city, your community. And so um, hopefully all of these things have helped us um, to renew and redeem our idea of missions today. So in answer to our opening question, I just wanted to conclude briefly. Is missions still good? Our answer is a resounding yes. Missions is still good because God is still good, and it is his mission we are seeking to fulfill by the help of the Spirit. We recognize that we have failed, we will fail at times. Missions and missionaries will fail because we are sinners and we're imperfect. But God can and will still work through us broken vessels to make beautiful things for his glory as instruments of his righteousness. Also, missions is still good because the gospel is still good news. And it is still true. It's worth living our lives for and to give our lives for Jesus because he first gave his life for us. We're just going to think about a few, few things for next steps. Yeah. So it's great to know these things. Um, and I think sometimes... Um, it's helpful to examine, it, it's always helpful to examine our heart and motivations, but even when we have the right motivations, we can do things that are healthier and more helpful um, than others. And so I'm just going to leave you with a next step, is to continue thinking about the question about whether something is healthy or harmful. So some examples of engaging in unhealthy missions can include... Um, Trying to be missional to make ourselves feel better. Like, oh, this is a good thing for me to do as a Christian, therefore I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to um, try this activity. I'm going to try to build this relationship. You can try to do things that may make you feel like you're earning your salvation. Like, oh, I will be a better Christian if I engage in missions. And I'll tell you now, like, that's a really unhealthy way of engaging in missions. What ends up happening instead is like, that we end up trying to be God, and we diminish his glory. If the whole purpose of missions is to make God's glory known, we will fail miserably if we do so out of unhealthy ways of engaging. A healthier perspective and a more helpful way of engaging in missions as a next step for each one of us is to actually start not by focusing on needs. I think it's easy to be like, oh, there's a need here, so I'm gonna try to fix it, but actually thinking about what God is doing in our world and where is he inviting you to join him in that work? Allowing the Holy Spirit to help us step into the work that he's already doing. And I think that's a hard thing. I think that's something we have to do over and over and over again, but will help us to do missions in a much healthier way. Um, I was joking to Sharon, I think we can do a whole nother topic or seminar on helpful and healthy missions, but this is a next step for you to continue thinking about. As I've been growing in my own understanding, of better and healthier ways to engage in missions, I've been really thankful for how God has slowly redeeming and restoring some of the own hurt in my own family relationships. Um, and just as a quick story, a couple weeks ago, I was at a wedding of a family member, and this is a 
big thing for me because I've had lots of really painful separation from family members. But I have been able to have a really good relationship with my cousin who invited me to the wedding. And it was hard to be in a space where there are still some family members who ignore me and I haven't rebuilt a good relationship. But I was also praising God that there were some really good relationships with family members who I have been able to rebuild. And my cousin who was getting married was one of them. His parents are another. And even though there's still a lot that needs to be developed, I was reflecting back and I was really thankful. Um, the week before the wedding, actually probably weeks before the wedding, I kept meeting up with my aunt to help prepare for the wedding. I probably tried on a thousand different Indian outfits to match different things. I learned a bunch of Indian dances. Um, and I think that many, many years ago, that would have been a really hard thing to do. But God has been slowly rebuilding that in my life and with my family. And I think it's always going to be a discerning challenge of what can I do that embraces culture but also refrains from engaging in Hindu practices. And I'm going to keep wrestling with that. But I just think that wedding was just a beautiful example of how I could wear a sari and celebrate with my family and still step away from Hindu prayers during different ceremony moments. And so I give God much thanks for not continuing or not being done with the work he's doing in redeeming some of the past hurt in my own life. And so I think that there's a beautiful thing engaging in missions is that there's always going to be that there will be hurt and pain, but there's also going to be God's redemption through it. And I'm thankful to experience that in a small way in my own life. And yeah, we can continue going in much depth of the many things that we've shared now, but we've just made a short list of resources that might be helpful in stepping into this. So understanding Christian mission, participation in suffering and glory, um, the world the missionaries made, Sharon referred to both of those, I think, in her history. God's Heart for the Nations is a good book that I like to do. Um, it's a study I do with a lot of students who've never even thought about why missions should be a part of being a Christian. Biblical Basis for Mission is a 30-day challenge. There's a lot of scriptural references that you can refer to each day that kind of builds on some of the verses that you have on the table, but many more. And then When Helping Hurts um, is one of my favorite books about engaging, especially with vulnerable populations in the gospel, and so I highly recommend it for helpful and healthy engaging in missions. So as we end, I hope that you were able to step into recognizing our history of missions and colonialization, have your heart reoriented to God's heart for the nations, and heard some stories that hopefully encouraged and redeemed your idea of what missions looks like today. We're going to move into a time of discussion, and we've got two questions for you to do in your smaller groups. Actually, four, but two, <laughs> two, two parts. parts. <laughs> so the first is to pick one of those Bible passages that surprised you or you're less familiar with, um, and just discuss with one another, what does this passage teach you about God and what about people? Feel free to open, if you can, to the bigger context of that passage. And then the second is, how does this passage reflect God's plan for all nations to worship him? So spend like about five minutes kind of talking about that. And then you can move on to the second part, is each of you at your tables have one or two stories. They're all different stories, but they're folded in a sheet of paper like this. And so you can read the story you have at their table and discuss in your group, what do you find most hopeful about that story? And how does the story redeem or renew your idea of missions? 
So that you can spend five for the first, 10 minutes on the ladder, and that will be the end of our discussion.